Hey everyone, welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, but why though? Before we get started, I wanted to make sure to let you all know that for our 50th episode, we are doing an Ask Me Anything. So you, the listener, gets to ask us anything. And when you do, you will get put into a drawing for a special goodie box. At the very least, you'll get a shirt and some things, and at the very most, you'll get a boat. Possibly. <laughs> you can buy a boat. A boat. <laughs> you get a rowboat. A rowboat. Yeah. A hand sign paper boat. Yes. Boat hat. So. Yeah. <laughs> boat hat. So send us those questions. They can be about anything. Doesn't have to be pop culture related. Just something you want to know about us, me, Adrian, or Matt. And if you want any more extra content or you want access to our research notes and shows a little bit earlier, head on over to patreon.com slash butwhythoughpc. And if you want to show your undying love for us across your chest, you can go ahead and buy a t-shirt. We have a storefront at T Public. I believe it's T Public slash But Why Though PC, like everything else. Go ahead and check them out. We have a whole bunch of designs, including Anakin is the Nickelback of Star Wars, which is my personal favorite at the moment. Yeah. Also, if you want to show your undying love across your chest, I expect a tattoo, not a t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, right on the heart. <laughs> so, thanks for all your support and enjoy the show. back everyone and today to wrap up our star wars fest we are going to be covering the original trilogies that is episode four episode five and episode six as always i'm your host kate and i'm here with adrian hey how's it going and matt hello and to start off this episode i just want to ask you guys what was your first experience with the original trilogy because obviously this stuff was around way before we all were alive so, what was your first experience with them, and which one's your favorite? Matt? First off, I want to say I'm so excited. This is the last Star Wars thing we're doing. <laughs> I feel God. like Bob Costas and basketball playoffs. I'm worn out. <laughs> but, as far as my first experience goes with Star Wars, I honestly can't really remember. I know as a kid I watched them. We had them on VHS, and, but I never obviously saw them in the movie theater, because I wasn't that old. But... Back in my day. Yeah, it wasn't that day. Um, <laughs> but as far as... I remember watching them a lot when I was younger. Like I said, we had, them, we had all the movies. My parents weren't big into Star Wars at all. But for some reason, we did own them. I don't know why, actually, now that I think about it. Because <laughs> you knew I was going to come into your life, and you had to give them to me as my first gift. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> um, but uh, as far as a favorite one, I guess probably The Empire Strikes Back would be, I guess, my favorite one. Adrian? Um, so my grandma had them on VHS and still does to this day. So that's when I first, first watched them. Um, I don't know what age it was. Like, I can't, like, remember the day. But I, I know that I've watched, like, the VHS multiple, multiple times before, like, any of the special edition stuff ever came out um, and things like that. So, and Empire, for sure, is my favorite. 
Yeah, I feel like I came out of the womb watching Star Wars. Like, I really don't remember a time where Star Wars wasn't in my life, at least in some way, whether it was an action figure figure or a movie. Um, When I was growing up, I only had Return of the Jedi on on VHS um, because my cousins gave it to me because I don't think they liked it that much looking back now. And I ended up breaking it because I watched it so much. And now, so then my favorite one was Return of the Jedi, but my favorite one now is Hands Down Empire, which we'll talk a little bit why that's my favorite one as we get into the show notes. I do remember being very young and like feeling like I was on my deathbed sick from school and watching all the movies. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how that's supposed to highlight the movies, but I do remember being like half dead. (laughs) Half dead watching the movies? Yes. Having having fe- uh, fever dreams of force ghosts. Pretty much. <laughs> so as we move into this, I will be the Jedi Master. Uh, I don't want to call myself a Jedi Master. I'm going to just go ahead and be the force ghost Yoda of the podcast right now. And lead us through this awesome episode that I'm really excited for. And for me, the original trilogy... Like, I know it was way before I was alive, but this, to me, like, this was my very first Star Wars, and this is what I loved even beyond, like, going to the going into the theaters to watch the prequels. Like, this, like, this was me. So much. Um, so, to get started, Star Wars, if you don't know what it is, I'm gonna give you a one-sentence thing about it, because, yeah. <laughs> Star Wars is an American epic space opera media franchise centered on a film series created by George Lucas, and it depicts the adventures of characters a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The first of these movies is titled just Star Wars or Episode 4, A New Hope, and this this happened in 1977, and it was directed and written by George Lucas. It is the second most successful movie of all time, when you come to the domestic gross, and this and this is when we look at adjusted, and this is right underneath um, Gone with the Wind, and it sits at one point six billion dollars adjusted for inflation. Its budget was eleven million, and it made seven hundred and seventy seventy five point four million non adjusted. All that money, you know, that Harrison Ford took home ten thousand dollars for this movie. What? <laughs> he made ten thousand dollars for this movie. Oh my god! Yeah, Mark Hamill took home is. like an obscene amount. I think really? Mark Hamill took home like six hundred thousand dollars, something like that, because he had uh, he had like what he made, and then plus he had like a percentage of like movie profit. So he went, you know, before uh. you know Robert Downey Jr. is taking home percentages of stuff. He did it too. I think Alex Guinness too. I think Alex Guinness took home like two point two percent of like the profit, something like that. So he made bank off this movie. And then Harrison that, Ford took home ten thousand. God, because I know that's one thing that like Carrie Carrie was very open about too. She's like, I pretty much sold away my likeness, and I've seen none of that money <laughs> yeah. from any of that franchise. Um, so it, I mean, Star Wars financially is just a powerhouse, and nothing really touches it for the most part. It, when it comes to like modern films, even. Um, and Gone with the Wind is number one, and that that was a movie from way, 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 way back then. You know what's also sad about this? What? This was the movie that finally passed Jaws. Yes, it was. It was the first movie that passed Jaws, and it was um, John Williams did the score for Jaws and Star Wars. 
So the real question is, how much does John Williams have? John Williams probably has a lot of money because I'll get into why John Williams is like a phenomenal God. like score maker orchestration person. I totally don't have the right word for that, and that's bad. That is pretty bad. I was going to say composer. But <laughs> yes, okay. composer. Com- that's composer God is what I'm going with. <laughs> composer guy. Um, so, A New Hope focuses on the Rebel Alliance, which is led by Princess Leia, and its attempt to destroy the Galactic Empire space station, the Death Star. This conflict disrupts the isolated life of farmhand Luke Skywalker, who inadvertently acquires two droids that possess stolen architectural plans for the Death Star. When the Empire begins a destructive search for the missing droid, Skywalker accompanies Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi on a mission to return the plan to the Rebel Alliance and rescue Leia from her imprisonment by, by the Empire. So, I was kind of debating on how to do this. I didn't want to do a breakdown so much as just kind of talk about the movies and bring up the but why those a, a lot similar to what Adrian did in our last episode for the prequels as we go through because there are a lot of them and it doesn't make sense to put them separate um and i think one of the reasons that star wars or a new hope specifically is so iconic is it introduces us obviously to farmhand luke who is now like one of the most recognizable heroes in pop culture today i agree and not only that, it gives us a story of a nothing into a somebody. And it also gives us one of the most iconic moments in film. And this was, the, like, it was across a whole bunch of lists, so I didn't even bother putting it down here. But The Crawl, The Crawl mixed with John Williams' opening theme, like, that just shook people to their core. It, nobody was expecting it. Um we're also introduced for the first time in A New Hope to non-anthropomorphic aliens, or rather less so than the way Star Trek did. So what we get in A New Hope is we get a whole bunch of different alien races who are farther from being human than they are human. So it isn't just a human with small prosthetics on their face and they still keep their human figure. You get a lot of other um, aliens shown. And that's one of the things that A New Hope is known for not only in bringing out these aliens but really revolutionizing and bringing cgi and when i say cgi but like uh, visual effects back from the grave that it was heading to the visual effects was done by industrial light and magic and at this point visual effects had pretty much started to die out because the majority of 70s film were all these gritty cop movies and the like just showing you the darkness of society like, there was no grand um there were no grand sets. There was no, you know, the sci-fi of the 50s and the 60s was pretty much gone. And so what ILM does here in A New Hope is it revitalizes, one, that interest in fans and moviegoers from seeing large sweeping sets and, you know, non-humans on screen. But it also lets filmmakers know that they can do it. And in the end, um, ILM ended up winning about, I think it's either 15 or 16 Oscars for its advancement in the field of visual of visual effects um and overall a new hope is really what its name entitles in the 70s you have a culture that's really fighting back from the vietnam war 
they have a completely bleak outlook on life and a bleak outlook in the films that they get with stuff like Taxi Driver, Apocalypse Now, The Godfather. All of these things are really dark and what A New Hope does is it brings out that hope in the darkness and it and this cements probably one of the big um, main themes of the entire Star Wars franchise from the, pre- from the prequels to the sequel trilogy um, and the anthology series of having hope. And that starts here. And that's something that um, I'm very happy that the franchise hasn't lost because I think it's something that makes it really unique. I agree. Do you know the original name of A New Hope, like before they changed it to A New Hope? No. Uh, Adventures of Luke Starkiller, as taken from the journal of uh, Wheelis Saga 1, The Star Wars. That was they were legit gonna call this movie that, and then they changed. I knew it. his, I knew his last name was gonna be that, but I had no clue it was gonna be that freaking long of a title. <laughs> yeah, I lost um, a tiebreaker to this question. Uh, we were at a, we were doing the Star Wars pub crawl. Yeah, I lost to this question because I didn't know that it was like that ridiculously long name. <laughs> God, that is a deserves a mention. Long name. What about for you guys? Where does New Hope... Like, do you all have any, like, I guess, feelings associated with New Hope? Any favorite parts? I thought it was very boring. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's different. I think it's slightly different for us just because, obviously, we weren't alive in the 70s. Like, one of my parents wasn't even alive when this movie came out. Uh, so, for me, like, I just remember watching all of these movies back-to-back. So, I don't know, like, the when this first came out, like I don't have that experience of it first coming out and then waiting three years for, you know, the, the sequel of all sequels to come out. Yeah. Um, so when I'm watching a new hope, I'm kind of just waiting to get to empire. <laughs> to <Yes. be> honest. <laughs> uh, Cause it is, it is slow. Like it, it's slow. It's a, it's a huge setup movie, but when you're watching all these movies back to back, like I did recently leading up to the last Jedi, like it's, it, it works, but I don't, I don't think I can understand why people think it's boring and why, um, people don't think that Star Wars really, really took off until Empire Strikes Back because this movie kind of is a little boring. Yeah. And it does take a while to get going, and there is a lot of just like sweeping, sweeping scenes, and then kind of just li- watching people run around. Like we watch Obi Wan run around the Death Star for like ten minutes yeah. in this movie. <laughs> um, I do like, but that with that, oh, that being said, my favorite part definitely is the score. Like the score is just ridiculous even going back and rewatching it with all the great scores that we have now, like just listening to it. It's it's just a, when I think of a new hope, I think of how great the score is from, from the very, very beginning of this whole crazy ride. And when it comes to best scores from the last hundred years, um, according to AFI, so the American film Institute, this is number one. Yeah, um, I don't doubt it. And John Williams has multiple on there. He has E.T., Jaws, this movie called Laura. He has the most out of the top 25 for the last 100 years out of anybody else. And it's in the ranks with stuff like Gone with the Wind, Lawrence Rivia, Psycho, The Godfather, and Jaws, is, and obviously Jaws. That's kind of what surrounds it. And when you look at it, the reason that this is really significant for A New Hope is you don't have... Um, you don't have an orchestra. You don't have a symphony accompanying sci-fi at this time. What you have is you have contemporary music or like the flash, ah, like that type of stuff. Like that's what you have for sci-fi, um, which George Lucas did try to make, Flash Gordon. Um, yeah. But so to go this way, 
this was Lucas saying, I'm going to do something different and it is really going to be something as extravagant as it can be. Yeah. I think, I think if you get that, now that I'm thinking about it, my favorite scene definitely is the Moss Eisley cantina scene. Yeah. Like that's, that's definitely my favorite just because from what you said at the beginning and something that we've talked about multiple times on social media and um, on the podcast is that this is like a space opera and all the aliens in that in 1977 is amazing and it's a shame that we don't get more of it in our movies now yeah i agree that's about what i was gonna say um yeah uh who was number two i guess on scores number two was gone with the wind no that's not what composer scores oh composer scores like yeah like what the hell are you talking about oh i don't know okay which is also testament because after a new hope um and the star wars franchise you have just steven spielberg just controlling this entire like 30 years of film and john williams along with it too i think for me one of the most important scenes too and probably one of the ones that stands out the most and it doesn't happen until an hour in because the movie is really boring i agree with both of you um but it's the it's the first time we see the force used in a tangible way and that's the force choke and it is it it's still great to see for the first time like happening within that movie yeah yeah he don't take no shit (laughs) so moving on to empire strikes back this came out in 1980 and it was directed by irving krishner after lucas said that he would never direct again which he obviously broke in 1999 um um this is the 13th of all time for domestic gross with adjusted profit. I couldn't figure out what that number was. Is it 876 million? No. No, is that billion? Yes. So it's 876 billion? Yes. $753 million, $100. Okay, so $876 billion, $753 million, and $100. Yeah, or you just put $8.76 billion. Okay, eight point. That doesn't make sense, though. Or no, it'd be $876 point. Seven five billion. Yeah. Okay. A crap ton of money, over eight hundred billion dollars. Um, adjusted, and this and the adjustment that it takes place is it's only count, uh, county. Uh, it's adjusting tickets, ticket sales, uh, for the movie. Um, so this film is set three years after Star Wars: The New Hope. Um, the Galactic Empire, under the leadership of the villainous Darth Vader and the Emperor, is in pursuit of Luke Skywalker and the rest of the Rebel Alliance. While Vader relentlessly pursues the small band of Luke's friends, Han Solo, Princess Leia Organa, and others across the galaxy, Luke studies the Force under Jedi Master Yoda. When Vader captures Luke's friends, Luke must decide whether to complete his training and become a full Jedi Knight or to confront Vader and save them. Um... A lot of the times I preface I preface these statements by saying this is my opinion, but I think it's pretty much a solid fact that The Empire Strikes Back is the sequel of all sequels. I can't name a better one. Yeah, I think it starts the trope of like I I it it's so good that it just ruins the opportunities for other sequels like like is like how good is that sequel? Is it is, is like is Empire Strikes Back good? Because usually they're not. Like, usually sequels aren't as good. And I think it's because it gets compared to how good of a sequel The Empire Strikes Back is compared to its original movie. Yeah. That's a fair assessment. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone would argue with you that, that this is this is the better the better movie. 
Yeah. So in this movie, you probably get my favorite romance of all time on screen um, because it's so earned and there's like a tit for tat going on and like all these little mini exchanges between Han and Leia. And at the end, you get one of the most known lines. I love you. I know. And it, it, it's just so good. It, it's awesome. And it may like I remember as a kid really, really, really 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 idolizing Han Solo which I realize that that is probably not the type (laughs) that you should idolize but I think when it comes to like movie romances I think Han and Leia really stands the the test of time Um, and then you also end up with one of the largest battles in a movie um, up until this point the Battle of Hoth and that happens in the first act which is pretty unheard of. Like usually a battle the size of Hoth with, with, the, with the five walkers and something that expansive with that type of budget, you save that for your climactic scene. So when Empire Strikes Back is happening in, this, in, in, the, in its little time bubble of, 80, of 1980, it's kind of like, well, whoa, how do you top this? This is a huge battle. And a lot of this... Um, this happens because it has one of the best twists and most well-known twists in movie, in cinema history, and that is the no, I am your father scene, um, where Luke discovers that Dark Vader is his father. Oh, but isn't it Luke, I am your father? (laughs) (laughs) No, that is wrong. That is not the line, people. (laughs) That, like, those two moments alone really set it up to blow A New Hope out of the water. Beyond this, you get to see the Force unfold not only in um, in usage, but also in teaching. And all of this comes from Luke being trained on Dagobah with Yoda. And you get some of the best lines in Star Wars to this day. Like, even with the, the content that we have from the prequel trilogy, the sequel trilogy, and um, the anthology, a lot of Yoda's lines are some of my favorite. Like when uh, Luke says that he doesn't believe he can do it, and then Yoda responds, this is, why, um, this is why you will fail. And then my favorite, which has helped me through a lot of hard times, um, like dealing with death, is the one, uh, luminous beings we are, not this crude matter. And it's kind of, that line in particular is when Yoda is teaching Luke about the fact that everything goes back into the force. It's all one thing and you don't have to be afraid of it. Um, do you have any favorite, Adrian? Uh, my favorite line is do not or do not do or do not. There is no try. Like I'm probably getting that tatted someday when I'm <laughs> more. It's ballsy. also probably the most like well-known too. Like I think everybody yeah. will say that or speak in the Yoda voice without knowing, without ever seeing it. But I also have yeah. a hard time believing somebody hasn't seen Star Wars. <laughs> it's just I think it's just so good just because like it's how I try to like live my life like either I'm going to be able to do it or I'm not going to be able to do it like you can't do you can't just do it half ass either you're either going to fail or you're not going to fail you um, whole ass one thing and that failure you know and, and if you fail failure is a good teacher so it's okay yeah <laughs> what about you Matt do you have anything noticed uh, remember rememberable about the little green man yeah, no, I mean, basically, I was with Adrian in the favorite line of do or do not. There is no try, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, and so, like, one of the cool things that you get here is you get 
the lifting of the X-Wing. You get Luke doing the, was it the one-handed handstand with Yoda on top of his feet? <laughs> yeah. Like, you just get yeah. so much in these scenes with Yoda. Um, it's just really emotional. And it's the first time we really see the Force. And then you cannot talk about The Empire Strikes Back without Lando and this undercurrent of it of the of Empire Strikes Back tackling a really difficult issue of friendship and duty. Um, because a lot of people say Lando betrayed Han, but he was forced into it. It was Han or his entire city, and he. he when that is your duty, you have you have to honor that. And in the end, Lando does try to save him. And he does turn around. Yeah. And he wasn't completely a betrayer. I don't know how yeah, you guys feel. A, I love Lando. I'm a Lando sympathizer, for sure. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Darth Vader shows up to your door. He's like, hey, do this or I'm going to subjugate your entire planet. Like what, like, what are you supposed to do? Yes. <laughs> like, really? Come on. Well, what made you actually think he was not? He already blew up one planet. I just don't see what was the point of actually thinking he wasn't just going to betray you in the end anyways. Well, yeah, that is true. But then he would, like, but then at least Lando can stay alive to even attempt to save Han. Because what happens, he's dead. Han shows up to Vader anyway, and Han's dead either way. Only because it worked out. Well, yeah, because it's writing. And I mean, you're of course like, the, it was going like to. The, well, yeah, but I mean, it's kind of <laughs> like when people take you hostage or whatever, and they say if they if you see your face, you're going to die. There's no point in telling information because they're going to kill you anyways. Yeah. Well, in the end, like Han does still end up frozen in carbonite. True. But it does lead to um, the rescue in the next movie. Um, but before we move on to Return of the Jedi, is there anything else you all want to talk about here for Empire? No, I really like Empire because um, harkening it back to like a clerk's reference of like when they ask, you know, which one you like better, uh, Jedi, and his like explanation of like it just ends on like such a down note, like that's yeah. that's what life is. It's a lyric, like a series of down endings. Like this movie did not have a happy ending, nope, at all. And basically every other movie in this franchise has like a hope, you know, ending or something like that. Like this one does not, and I think that's what. This was, that's why it sets it apart for me, and it has now that like you're like you're reading back through these, I'm like, man, this movie had so many twists. I can't imagine like being, you know, a kid or even like an adult in like 1980 watching this movie and just being faked out with like Yoda actually being like the Jedi Master because he plays Luke so well, yes, he trolls him so hard, you know, the Lando thing. I'm like, I, I can't imagine watching this I and like not just being blown away by it back then. I have altered the deal. Pray I do not alter it further. Yeah. <laughs> what about yeah, you, Matt? I'm all about it. I like the Dagobah stuff. I thought that was cool and interesting. Yeah, because I think, like, those training scenes can be really bad. Like, the hero training montage, I think, like, if I think about some of the stuff we get now, a lot of the times it's really rushed, and it's just kind of, like, you don't have any oomph to it. But I think when I go back and I watch Empire Strikes Back, like, nothing that Yoda did in those scenes with Luke was not purposeful. Like, all of it had a reason behind it, and you really get to see that part of Luke's journey. Um, I also think this is, like, the perfect thing to be sandwiched between two hopeful movies. Like, just in general. Like, this is the perfect sandwich, because you have the metal ceremony in A New Hope and the teddy bear picnic in Return of the Jedi. And this is just, everything oh, sucks. This also allows you to have probably the best parody song ever. 
which is seagulls oh yes <gasps> that's gonna be your outro music okay oh seagulls is so good a bad lip reading of the dagobah scene it's so good it makes me so happy okay moving on uh, so then we move on to Return of the Jedi, which came out in 1983, and it was directed by Richard Marcond and written, written by George Lucas and Lauren, Lawrence Kasdan. And this is the 16th most successful for domestic gross, adjusted for inflation, of course, at $839 billion, $950 million and 500. Is that correct? $839 million, $950 million, 500. Yeah. In this one, the Galactic Empire, under the direction of the Ruthless Emperor, is constructing a second Death Star in order to crush the Rebel Alliance once and for all. Since the Emperor plans to personally oversee the final stages of its construction, the Rebel fleet launches a full-scale attack on the Death Star in order to prevent its completion and kill the Emperor, effectively bringing an end to the Empire's hold over the galaxy. Meanwhile, Luke Skywalker, a Jedi apprentice, struggles to bring his father... Darth Vader back to the light side of the force. Um, so this probably ends with one of the most hopeful things in the fact that Vader does come to the light side and that it, it, it leaves hope that people can be redeemed. Um, beyond that, you also get the force ghosts of um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Yoda, and Anakin Skywalker um, Hayden Ghost or not. <laughs> Hayden Ghost is the one that makes sense. It'll always just make sense. Like, I don't know. That's a that's a topic for another time. But no, I'm I, all right I, with Hayden Ghost. I actually think it makes sense now after I had somebody explain to me that was his Jedi death. And so that's yeah. what he stays yeah. in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I'm totally fine with Hayden Ghost now. Um, but what I really like about the Force Ghosts and using them here is it points out that it adds to the mythology around the force and it really solidifies it as this force that literally binds life and death together and nothing is separate from it which means once you leave you are still there um which i think sets up beautifully for all of the um extended not necessarily extended universe just the books but in the television series where you have a lot of communication there um and the prequels as well as the, you know, hopefully in the sequel and in the sequel and in and in the sequel trilogy and everything like that, it really lets you understand how the force um, moves between people. Um, so then there's Ewok debacle. I am a fan of Ewoks, so I'm just gonna say that first. Um, but Ewoks are not actually named in the movie. Um, they are in fact named to sell a toy. And they're named afterwards. And it is probably one of the most contested parts of this entire trilogy. So one, I find out it's interesting that the Ewoks are named afterwards for toys. And nowadays, I can find out a porg, what a porg is for a movie that hasn't been released in six months. For another six months. Accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Accurate. <laughs> Accurate. Uh, I am not a fan of the Ewoks at all. Like, <laughs> so, just in general, like... Uh, Return of the or Return of the Jedi has like uh, such a good like premise and thematically it's great, but they just do just like silly things. And one of the biggest silly things that they did was do Ewoks to sell toys. Basically, like they should have just stayed with the Wookiee idea. I don't care if it's too expensive and you know seeing 
Like, you, you're going to tell me if they went to Kashyyyk and Chewbacca reunites with his homies and they rip their arms off of Stormtroopers, that's not better than watching some Ewoks, you know, cuddle Stormtroopers to death? I love Ewoks, but that is kind of better. And, yeah, like, and I think, I think my biggest everybody. problem with... My, my biggest problem with it is that it sets off, like, people give a lot of the prequels a lot of, you know, s- you know slack for being kid-friendly, but it starts here. Like, the whole tone of this movie, there's, like, a lot more jokes in this. Like, it's not the same as Empire. And I don't know if that's, like, a following with, like, Empire just being so much better. Um, or if it's, like, they're a concerted effort just to, to go more kid-friendly so you can sell more toys. But... I think it's a big step back for, like, for this trilogy, and it's not the bookend that I would have liked, I think, if I was a kid back then. Or, like, if I was, like, an adult watching this back yeah. then, I don't think I would have been as happy with it. Yeah. I mean, like, I totally see... When I think about the complaints about The Phantom Menace for people, and, like, for people that still hold it really close, like, I remember wearing out my Return of the Jedi VHS, but I was also a kid, and I also really loved Ewoks. So now, like, when I think back, like out of my prequel hating mind and into my like just like just looking at stuff mind like I totally understand that that same critique is lodged against Return of the Jedi and it has to be um but Ewoks are still cuddly and my dog has a costume to be one and it makes me they make me really happy and I love them um yeah, I don't but know. it I think is the whole a just cheapens the empire like when the Spanish came over and hung out with our ancestors Kate did like our did our ancestors do too well there no <laughs> no they didn't <laughs> like it's just doesn't make any sense to me and but our ancestors didn't have Han and Leia I, I guess I mean the Pathfinders are cool exactly this team is cool um yeah I just, I, that part I just didn't really like and then in the extended edition like they got rid of the only cool thing that they really had was like the end their their end song is so good and then they get rid of it in the special editions. It's so yeah. dumb. Yeah, which I wonder if I can find that end song on, on YouTube to play while you're talking about that. Because that would be bum, great. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. It's so I see, I, I like that too because it shows them actually being savage. Like, they're playing on Stormtrooper helmets. Like, do they eat yeah. them? They did like, they because ate they're about right? to eat the other people like, who show up. That's cool, but then they, they kid-friendly did even more even to get rid of the savagery of the Ewoks to make it more kid-friendly <laughs> to tie it more into the prequels. It's just it's not cool. Like I said, it is cool thematically. Like, the whole Luke and Vader and Emperor dynamic is great. Like, I, I love all of that. That um, that last scene of, like, Luke, like, is Luke going to go bad? Is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? I think it's great. But yeah, then they which... ruin it with Ewoks. Yeah, which I think this is why too, I put Revenge of the Sith over this movie. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I guess I, I guess from here we can just go like straight into the but why those because I think a lot of the when we talk about a lot of the but why those for character development and costuming and stuff like that, we can't isolate it to one part of the trilogy because when George Lucas was mapping this out, he mapped it out as a plan to take part across all three. And the reason he did this is because his entire goal was to create an American mythology. He wasn't trying to just make a series. He wasn't trying to just make a movie. He wasn't trying to just do sci-fi. He was trying very hard to replicate the mythology 
of the Greeks and the Romans and all of, you know, from everywhere across. And so what he did was he based Star Wars, all three movies, very heavily on um, Joseph Campbell's work in 1949 with the book The Hero of a Thousand, with a Thousand Faces. And the reason that this for me, and this is probably the one thing that I'm going to talk a lot about, um, or not a lot, I don't know. This is the one thing that I'm really passionate about because when I was doing my undergraduate work in religious studies, this is what really made me see that I wanted to study pop culture at a graduate level because of how George Lucas's success with creating this into a mythology has made Star Wars this permeate this force that permeates into almost all aspects of your life even if you don't want it to even if you want to close yourself off to Star Wars you can't escape the references you can't escape the mar- escape the marketing I don't know how much that goes in the mythology but you know these characters and you know who they are with a visual you know who they are just by saying it um, so The Hero with a Thousand Faces is a book that built on the pioneering work of an anthropologist named Adolf Bastian. And this, and this guy was the one who first produced the, um, produ- proposed the idea that myths were built on these things called elementary ideas. And what this sets up is the type of discussion that we have about tropes in our fandoms now, both in scholarship and from the fan perspective. So the final girl, fridging, any of the things that we talk about that are tropey, that is something that we've produced within our own media production, which is what... Um, people like Joseph Campbell and Bastian were trying to isolate. And so in The Hero of a Thousand Faces, Joseph Campbell isolates all the parts to making an odyssey, all the parts to making an epic. Um, So what happens here is you end up with one is the departure, two is the initiation, and three is the return. Um, which obviously you can kind of see stuff here. So in the first one, and this sets up the entire pretty much plot of A New Hope, you have the call to adventure, which is Leia's message, the refusal of the call because he has to go help with the harvest, supernatural aid is because Obi-Wan rescues Luke from the Sand People, and crossing the first hash- um, crossing the first threshold is escaping Tatooine, and the belly of the whale is signified with uh, the trash compactor and Han and him fighting their way, um, them finding their way out. In episode two, you have the the initiation, and it's broken down like this. You have the Road of Trials, which is lightsaber practice, the meeting with the goddess, which is Princess Leia. Um, and in this, this is when you really have an emphasis on her cost- and her costuming, because she wears white. Um, and this, her... Her being Luke Skywalker's sister is important because it replicates um, being a sister within the order of like one of those mythological goddesses. Um, You have the temptation, which goes in the way of the path, which is Luke being tempted to the dark side. You have the atonement with the father, where uh, with dark Darth and Luke um, reconcile reconciling or coming becoming aware of each other. You have um, the apotheosis, which is becoming godlike, which is a moment in which Luke becomes a Jedi. And then you have the ultimate boon. And so this is the moment that really shifts the story in the hero's favor. Um, and it sets up the third act. And this is when the Death Star is destroyed. In return, you have the refusal of the return. Um, and this happens... Um, when they're asking Luke to leave and Luke just wants to stay. He wants to avenge Obi. Um, 
You have the magic flight, which is symbolized by the Millennium Falcon, um, rescue from without, and Han saves Luke, Luke from Darth, crossing the return thresholds, the Millennium Falcon destroying, um, destroying pursuing TIE fighters, um, master of two worlds, victory ceremony, freedom to live, rebellion and the victorious over the Empire, and then you just have the common tropes, which is probably the easiest thing for people to kind of understand. You have two worlds, so you have the Death Star existing as this world of the Empire, and then you have everything else. And this is what takes place on Tatooine, this is what takes place um, at the Battle of Endor, anything that's situated away, and in Hoth as well. You have the mentor, um, the wise mentor, who's Obi-Wan, the Oracle, who is Yoda, the prophecy is that Luke will overthrow the Empire, Begs is a fair he hero. The web-wearing enemy's skin is um, Luke and Han in their stormtrooper outfits. Um, the shapeshifter is Han Solo because Han goes through this process of being the scoundrel to actually becoming a hero over this entire journey. And then the animal familiars are R2-D2 and Chewbacca, of course. And then, yeah, I mean, that pretty much just maps. That is the entirety of archetypes for almost every mythological story and almost every almost every epic and what george lucas did was he mapped his works to fit this because they are still being redone today like those epics um the odyssey or even if you look at shakespeare's works all of these things are still being um i guess rebooted i guess i don't know how to like explain it like, yeah i mean it's 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 it it, it like lasts for a reason, right? Like it's a perfect template for telling an, a, a saga like Odyssey. Um, and while you're going through this, I'm just remembering watching <laughs> uh, when the History Channel used to show things that weren't Pawn Stars. Um, I don't know if you guys remember watching or if if you, either of you've watched like the Star Wars Legacy Revealed thing. Like I think it was like 2006, 2007, something like that. And everything you're saying is like what I got out of that. And like as a kid, I I. As a kid, learning about the Odyssey, like at the same time as I was, as I was watching that, I was like, "Oh my God, this is why Star Wars is so good," because it hits on everything that makes the epics that have lasted for thousands of years so good. So, I think you just covered it great. Good job, Kate. Yeah, good job, Scholar. <laughs> I'm happy. Um, it's hard because it's a lot of information, and what I want, like what I want you to take away when you're listening for it, like there is a reason. It wasn't a fluke. Like, George Lucas knew what he was doing from the very beginning. Um, and this is something that was, that he tried to replicate in the prequels. And now he's trying, now, like, overall, you're hoping that this mythos extends outside the original trilogy to the prequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy and hope, and hopes that it all has that same lasting power. Yeah. Um, so all of this pretty much gives us a measuring stick for which to look at all of science fiction, but it also gives us a very real and familiar way to analyze these archetypes. So when I was teaching students about the use of archetypes in like religious texts and stuff, well, what I did was I talked about Star Wars because that like everybody knows that and if you don't do it with star wars you can also easily map lord of the rings onto this as well but for george having this be a purely visual film at first and make it purely american that was really important um 
So from this mythology, like most mythologies, you actually end up with a lot of influences from different religions, specifically Buddhism um, directly affecting the Jedi path and the Jedi way. Um, and the establishment of the dark side is very, very representative of the way in which dualistic religions work. So you have the light and the dark, specifically like Zoroastrian religions, that deal with these dueling forces at all times. So when the dark rises, the light rises, and this is something that has been one of the core tenets of Star Wars. You can't have the dark without the light. And then from this, it inspires a legit religion. Like all of this mythology is a big but why though, because yes, it's here, and it still and it still stays. But two, it has it, it has inspired people to craft their own state recognized religions in the northern UK and New Zealand. Um, so there, it, it it's easy to say that it's like this Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster type thing where they just like do it to do it. But when you actually look at what a lot of these people put forward, and it's really fascinating. And this is this is the main reason I, I chose to write like did my undergraduate thesis studies on this is when you read the books of you can just you can go on amazon and look up books on jediism they're written by a lot of like catholic theologians and they're reconciling the use of the jedi path within their own religion so how can you take the jedi path and use it as a way to attach to what you're already doing and then in the cases removed from that you actually have people who don't have an established religion but just use the jedi the jedi way to look at life it's really interesting and it kind of blew me away when i found out about it but a lot of the work when it comes to um star wars and religion is really done from like the catholic theologian perspective which i found really interesting you didn't think they just stole stuff like they do with a lot of their religion what? Hmm? What? I said you're surprised that the Catholics stole stuff like they did with a lot of their religion. Well, I mean, all religions kind of stole stuff. But pretty sure How the I... Catholic one stole quite a bit. Well, it's not so much that Catholics stole it. It's so much that Catholics invaded everywhere. And the people who were there still wanted to practice their own religions and then morphed it into, like, the Catholic stuff. So, like it wasn't really Catholic sin so much as like how do I survive when the Catholics are killing me? Oh, I just rise up to meet it. They don't just become Jedi. No, they don't just become Jedi. <laughs> no. uh, I don't know how much I don't know how much you looked into it, Kate. But like how like how like, how deep do these dudes follow this? Like, are they no attachment? You know, so, are people like secretly getting kid getting girls pregnant and not telling anybody about it? So like when you kind of have two sides of every coin. So when you look at the, so the stuff that I looked at mostly because of how my my research study like was set up, I was looking at the people who produce text and then used to map it onto their own religion. Um, but and and for that it works with people like priests uh, priests or aesthetics uh, ascetics. So um, Buddhists and stuff like that who already have that, um, that, that way of detachment from it, it's easy to map on. Um, and obviously that is what like, those tenets of, like, um, of purity and resistance and, and uh, not attaching to the world is something that Lucas pulled heavily from ascetic religions. Um, but when it comes to people who practice like under the name like Jediism, like in like the northern UK and New Zealand, if they don't do that, a lot of the times they just take it to be like a good person. Like I, I wasn't able to really find anybody like 
living in a tree in a swamp with no wife. Like, I wasn't able to find any of that, surprisingly. So. Um, cool. Just checking. <laughs> but it is really interesting to look into. And if you are a practitioner of the, if you are a, a pr- practitioner of the Jedi faith, reach out to me. Let me interview. Let me, let me, let me pick your mind. Yeah, I actually have like three books on my shelf about Jediism right now. So one of the big things after this is you have Lucas's attention to costuming. So one of the things that Lucas did was he wanted to make sure that the costumes with his characters grew. And the most important way that you see this is actually with Luke, because in A New Hope, he starts off as wearing all whites. In Empire, he's wearing all gray, and in Return, he's wearing black. But at the end of Return, he has that flap of white show, and that's to show that Luke was not Luke was tempted but turned away, and that white that hope and that light still revealed itself even in the dark times and even through his anger. Um, so like that type, and and Matt actually got me a costume book for Christmas, and this is this is uh, for Chris or my birthday one year. Was it my birthday? Yes. Yeah, for my birthday one year. And so it's, it's a coffee table book, and it has, like, these awesome detailed drawings of the original trilogy, um, like, just breaking down all the costumes. And the really cool thing that I liked about costuming, specifically with Leia, um, which brings me into my next book, why that ties it to costuming, but there aren't a crap ton of female characters, and this is, like, a knock for Star Wars, is that there isn't a lot. Like, you have Lando and you have Leia, and they're about the only diverse characters of the universe for the most part. Hey, hey, Mon, Mon, Mon okay. Mothma's there Mon for Mothma. a scene if to you give squint. the in line, and that's it. <laughs> At least we had aliens. We did have aliens. Now we don't even have aliens. Anyway, um, so one of the things that Leia did when she was introduced was... Her iconic look with the buns and the, and the solid white dress, that was chosen specifically by uh, George to kind of throw everybody off because she was supposed to look, one, she was supposed to um, to resemble like this, um, like this sisterly like priestess type person. But on the other side of that, she was also supposed to be shown in pure white because you're supposed to assume, oh, she's a princess. She does not get dirty. Like, she's not going to do the heavy lifting, she's not going to do the work, and she's going to be the damsel. And what Lucas does is he flips that on you, and you see Leia pretty much being the brains of the operation once Luke and Han have her. Um, and you see that by the dress becoming increasingly dirty throughout uh, throughout throughout that movie. Yeah. How iconic are those buns, even though, like, it only happens in, like, one movie? Yeah. Like, if you go they, anywhere... iconic. You go anywhere... You know what are what are the ladies wearing? Either Leia buns, or I guess now they're doing like the Ray, yeah, the Ray hairdo. The like three that's, buns. yeah, the three bun. Like that's that's a lasting that's a lasting comic that's lasting costuming right there. Yep, and I think too. Like one of the things that's real that that's really interesting is as she moves through the series. Um, she still has white, she's still wearing white in Hoth, um, but it's very practical. Like, her, her costume is always practical because Leia isn't just meant to be the princess, she's meant to be a leader, and that was something that is solidified past the original trilogy as well, and probably one of my favorite shots is when she's standing in the middle of all of the pilots before they go out, and you can see everybody looking at her. And it's just, it's, it's really powerful. And you kind of, you just see 
how important Leia was supposed to be. Beyond that, you go into the metal bikini, which has a lot of really creepy things around it because Carrie Fisher did not want to wear it, and George Lucas did not want her to wear underwear under it. And so she personally hated that outfit. And I know that a lot of people don't find Slave Leia empowering because right before this you get her as Boosh where she's infiltrating Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi to save Han. But what I think a lot of people over, and obviously if you have issues for it, I'm not invalidating it, but the fact that Leia turns into a hut slayer by strangling Jabba with her own chain is probably one of my favorite moments that Leia has in the entire three movies. Um, Because, like, it's just so gratifying. If you look in the book, Lucas wanted it to highlight the fact that she's changed from this person who's in control to this person who isn't. And so when she has that moment, it's her reasserting her power. And after that, you have her in the practical gear again. Um, so I think that the, like, as creepy as the, as the interaction with Carrie and, and George is, I still find that that scene's really powerful. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I like it. Slave Leia, Hut Slayer Leia, whatever you want to call it. Like, she still chokes out a hut at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that's all that, in my opinion, that's all that should really matter. Yeah, that is all and, that like, matters. Re- and rewatching it, like, you could tell that they had a plan. Like, they kind of anticipated, like, this might happen. Yeah. You know, they were all in on it. It's 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 fine. Yeah. It's fine. Um, also, for costuming, you end up with probably the most overhyped, well, one of the most overhyped characters who is known for his armor and his costuming, but not much else, really, because he doesn't do a lot but get thrown into the Sarlacc. That is yeah. Boba Fett. <laughs> but don't worry, yeah. he was taken down by most overhyped character. Yeah, poor guy. Yep. It's all right though. I think I think that death though sets off so much stuff in the expanded universe. People are like so upset. They're like, nope, nope. We're gonna write our own stories, George Lucas. <laughs> you shut your mouth. So yeah, I don't I don't know if you've ever if you guys have ever seen like the robot chicken ones, like where they have him coming out of the Sarlacc pit yeah. or like any, like any of the robot chicken stuff that involves Boba Fett is just great. It's so good. Yeah, and I think it's just And it all like, centers around like him kind of going out like a punk, which is yeah. <laughs> so I like it. My favorite thing is the there's a song called um uh Boba Bo like it's like Boba the Fett or something like that. And it's by yeah, MC yeah, Chris. Yeah. It's so yeah, good. Yeah, Fett's Vet by MC Chris, yeah, I love it. Yeah. And it's it's amazing how much like in this many years everybody loves freaking Boba Fett, even though he was there for nothing. And he's, like, stood the test of time. Which is really weird because you also end up with groups like the Mandalorian Mercs who were solely basing their stuff on, like, the extended um, the extended universe and him up until you get more um, more of Mandalore in the animations. Yeah, because say what you will, the fans, you know, theories do matter because, you know, like, this wouldn't be what it is without the fans. Yes. So. <laughs> And this is just my subtle way of saying stop talking shit to fans who have fan theories and like, because some of them are valid. Like that's people put time into that kind of stuff. And then one of the last things that I have to say really about this is the fact that it is a freaking marketing juggernaut. Jaws and Star Wars A New Hope 
pretty much solidify the blockbuster. They make this a thing that studios decide to repeat and that's how you end up with the summer block of movies where it's just movies that were ridiculously expensive and were made to fill seats. So the success of the Star Wars films led to the franchise to become one of the most merchandised franchises in the world. And in 1977, while filming the original film, George Lucas decided to take a $500,000 pay cut um, from his own salary as as director in exchange for fully owning the merchandising rights of the franchise to himself. Over the franchise's lifetime, such exchange cost 20th Century Fox more than $20 billion in franchising revenue profits. Disney acquired the merchandising rights when they purchased Lucasfilm. Um, so now all the money's going to Disney. That's crazy, right? Like, because when we did our Pokemon episode, one of like the biggest things for Pokemon that is like it's it is the biggest media franchise ever, with Star Wars being second. Yeah. And like, I imagine if Lucas didn't do that, and that money went to like actual profits to companies, how it much bigger so Star much Wars bigger. would be now? Yeah. That's crazy. Which I think, too, like that, the fact that, um, like, 20th Century Fox also, prior to the Disney mergers, owned the rights to the theatrical cut of the movie, which is why we never got, um, why we only get post-93 special editions, because we can't, because Fox wasn't letting them out of that vault. <laughs> so. I mean, it can happen now, though, right? Yeah, no, Isn't it, it like a big it can thing about that moaning for I will, um, I will spend a ridiculous amount of money. I will mark out for it. I am that target demographic. And that is I saw why on they la- overpaid. <laughs> yeah, I will overpay for that shit. I, I, I will. I saw it on Laserdisc like a, um, a few years ago. I'm like, man, this movie's so much different without do-backs chilling in the background for no reason. <laughs> Come on, Disney, do the right thing. Which I honestly think that's why they negotiated that deal the way they did and why they were so aggressive with it to box out everybody because they had all the money they could make from that and they had the um, the rights to the X-Men. Yeah, it's it's a good and a bad thing. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> like, bad thing. Because now we're getting Star Wars their... movies every year Yeah, and we're in danger of becoming like comic book and movie franchise level of just the amount of movies are coming out and fan base is not wanting to admit faults or not being able to deal with faults it's thanks original trilogy it's all your fault for being so damn good (laughs) i was personally thinking about the five thousand people that disney just let go from their jobs after the merger but yeah that too oh yeah that too (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty much all i had i mean the other main thing is that the original trilogy opens the door for so much of everybody's childhood. And if you think about it, like, this was our parents' childhood. The Phantom Menace, if you go by years, was, or, you know, the prequel trilogy was ours. And now there's a whole generation of kids after us who have the sequel trilogy. Like, there is not somebody who is growing up without Star Wars, or at least a Star Wars that they can identify with. And I think that's also one of the big but why those for the original trilogy is because Lucas mapped everything onto all of these archetypes, there is somebody for somebody to identify with somewhere. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I think it's one of my problems with all the criticisms for The Last Jedi. And, of course, we're not going to talk about any spoilers or anything in this, but, like, people have the right to be upset if the Star Wars movie they're getting isn't Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, 
especially if you grew up with this since 1977 and then give you a movie of a franchise that you've grown up with your entire life and it's not what it used to be or like not what it is like that's kind of that's tough to deal with yeah. especially because this is the trilogy that people hold to such a high standard because of what happens with the prequels yeah and just for my own um just for my own sake i think you've covered everything super well in this episode a lot of the stuff that you talked about it was supposed to be in the prequels like all these archetype stuff was supposed to be in there but you can just tell that like the execution here we're able to talk about all of these all of, like the mythos and everything like that in this but we can't talk about that in the prequels because of all of like the missteps so exactly. this just goes to show the execution of the original trilogy compared to the prequels and why we're able to have this conversation not just talk about all the bad stuff and good stuff like we did for the prequel episode yeah um i mean i guess i feel bad for not really mentioning bad stuff except new hope is kind of boring i mean i don't know yeah yeah I mean, I, mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of bad, to be honest, other than, like, the New Hope being slow. I wouldn't say boring. I, th- I think it's super slow. Okay. S- super slow, and then the whole Ewok thing is just kind of jacked up. <laughs> and then, I guess, like, you can make the argument that there probably need to be more than two women in the whole universe, and then that there need to be more than one black guy. And yeah. then there were no uh, brown people. Yeah. I mean, and it's weird, too, because, and I think this is really just me putting on my, like, my, like, blinders because it's something that I love like I don't remember feeling that growing up like I remember being told like the women thing yes because I remember trying to play a Jedi like on like the um like on the playground and being told I couldn't be a Jedi because I was a girl that happened a crap ton um and I still hit them with a stick but at the end of the day like I was able to see myself in those characters be, and I think it has to do with how well it was done in making you feel for them, like in like the ins and outs. Like, and I think that's why as much, cause I think we've had this conversation before where you're like, no, the prequels are your childhood, Kate. And I'm like, no, like my obsession with this yeah. here, like in this moment and this writing, like, I do remember as a kid not having the same feelings as I did, like, watching Return of the Jedi on repeat or watching yeah. Empire and, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Like, I don't I don't I didn't get those same feelings either watching um, watching this either. I think a lot of the reasons because before the before I saw the um, the prequels and things like that. I was reading the Expanded Universe books, so I was getting all of, like, the diversity, all the alien stuff, all of that stuff that I needed in the Expanded Universe books, kind of like how I do now. So, um, same same feelings, just different way of yeah. getting, getting, getting it, so. Yeah. Also, too, like, don't take that as me, like, not saying that, like, representation doesn't matter, because obviously I'm a part of the of, of the people who have been working for, for the hashtag, because um, we, we all really care about everybody being able to see a part of themselves in this universe, but yeah, I, I just think they, it's just so well written. Like the yeah. the original trilogy is so well written. Like I, I I can't fault it for almost anything, which is probably bad. So if if you have problems with it, like Matt, like do you have any like glaring issues or like bad for the original Star Wars trilogy? Uh, this is about to start when we get pew pew in space and physics goes out the window. Ooh, yeah. And then, unfortunately, because it's so long and people hold it so thing, it kind of keeps falling throughout all of the prequels and even into the new movies. 
so we're never gonna get like a physics based yeah. Star Wars movie. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, man. Like no one wants to watch these battles in silence. I mean maybe you do, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I said goddamn explosions and some pew pew. Off the thing, it's basically it's funny that basically both of you basically said the best part of the new movie is the silent part. Are you right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I can't even argue. Right. I can't even argue that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even think you're right, I, Matt. I, 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 I can see that point, brother. Yeah. <laughs> like we can leave it in there because, like, I don't think that's a spoiler. God damn it, Matt. God damn it, Matt. <laughs> I can't even argue that. That's one scene, though. That's one scene compared to like but the Millennium is... Falcon getting chased by a, a star destroyer. Adrian, like, though, it and is probably... watching that and. It is probably one of the best scenes out of the entire franchise. Yeah, but the, it's not a battle. It's one scene. <laughs> battle of Physics. Yavin in silence. With, or Battle of Endor in silence with, it, like, with one, it's a trap. And then, like, the rest of it is just silence. I don't know how well that Who that says plays. it's a trap? We're not talking about it. Part <laughs> <laughs> of the science doesn't play out. But who cares because it's in a galaxy far, far away, and we don't know if... Quantum physics. That's that's all. That's all I'm gonna say. It's quantum physics, and we don't know. When in doubt, quantum physics. physics. Well, like I said, it's yeah, just basically exactly. this whole thing sets up for this, where it basically now it's a, it basically allowed this to happen. Yeah. To I where even that. like right. this new movie, you get pew pew, and nobody's gonna blink an eye. What but do you, we get? Pew pew. <laughs> but like, if you look at like Gravity and stuff, like the movie Gravity, or even um, what the hell was the one with Matthew McConaughey in it? Interstellar. Interstellar. Oh, even 2001 A Space Odyssey. Like, that movie gets all of its stuff from its silence. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, they do a lot. They try to do science, like, they do the actual physics, and then people either rag on them that something's not right or something's not wrong. Yeah. But Star Wars, we don't care. People, you mean Neil deGrasse what, what Tyson? Galaxy? No, there's a lot of What galaxy people. are those movies in? Doesn't matter. I don't know what galaxy. Well, technically, Interstellar is <laughs> in a different galaxy, isn't it? Yeah, and then time works different on that one planet because they're somewhere different. <laughs> The time dilation. Yeah, there's time dilation in Star Wars. <laughs> Force-rich planets have time dilation. That's 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 a fact. That's canon. I bow, I bypass the compressor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, you're right, man. Um, I can't so, disgrace you. So Good to point. wrap up, you win. I don't know how much of that I'll keep and how much I'll cut out. Um, but keep all of it. <laughs> <laughs> So, to wrap up, I do want to include some fan but why those. They are pretty, these are probably the most lengthy fan but why those we've ever gotten because these people really love Star Wars <laughs> and they love the original trilogy. So, um, all of these do come from Twitter. So, I'm going to go ahead and give you their Twitter handles. Um, first, from at I, I Snow Nothing, host of Podcast 2187, the original trilogy. Wait, before you go on, can I just say that's a great Twitter name? Yeah. I Snow Nothing. That's really good. That's Game of Thrones reference, right? Like, I'm not yes. tripping, like, as a Game yes. of Thrones reference. I love that. That's so good. Go follow him. So is their podcast from, supposed to be from 2187, or is it something else? It's a Star Wars podcast. Are they 2187. Yeah, 2187. That's... Why can't they be from 2187? F... Yeah, it, it's a reference to Finn. Yeah, FN2187. Um, so from podcast 2187, the original trilogy was still going on when I was born. The first movie I was conscious for was Return of the Jedi, though I have no recollection of it. My brothers and I were born a little before each other, 
Um, each a little before my brothers and I were born a little before each of the original trilogy films. Star Wars was the first movie my oldest brother saw. Empire, the first my middle brother saw, and it was the first thing we all loved. It introduced us to collecting, to fandom, to mythology, fantasy, and sci-fi. Though there are other fandoms I hold alongside Star Wars, the films and characters in the original trilogy are the first that captured my imagination completely and bonded my entire family. The lessons of Luke Skywalker, that we aren't our parents, that love can overcome hate, and that the nonviolent path can still change the world are lessons that shaped who I am as a person. The example of Leia, of duty, service, sacrifice, and honor, of using position of privilege and power to help those being exploited and used. The Skywalker siblings gave me the most influential and long-lasting ideas of what heroism is to me. Basically, I love everything about the original trilogy and the experience of growing up around it and during it feels inseparable from the things that made me who I am today. I told you these were going to be good. Yeah, that's like really good. Yeah. <laughs> and I I kind of wish we would have had someone who was like a kid at that time, you know, like it, it, coming from us, I think it's a little bit different and it doesn't discredit. I don't think it discredits like our fucking love for the franchise, because if you look at my office, my office is full. I literally had a Star Wars wedding like three months ago. But I think it's. I would just love to have to talk to someone you know outside of like my uncles and stuff who grew up with this. I know you just, had a Star Wars they... wedding, but um, what was that based upon though? What do you mean? What was the uh, theme? Star Star Wars. What was it called? Uh, the Phantom Marriage. I have a plan. I'm George Lucas, bro. I got a plan. <laughs> Every major event in my life is going to be named after a Star Wars movie. I, it, it's all planned out. But you didn't take. I mean, if you trilogy. really, if you were really George Lucas, you would have started at four and then worked your way back. Yeah, but that's confusing to explain to people. <laughs> uh, all of my grooms were dressed as stormtroopers from either the original trilogy or like the sequel trilogy. I did like your selection of stormtroopers, by the way. I had the five zero first come. I didn't have the prequel five zero first come. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you discredit my wedding, fist. Matthew. Not Anakin's, like, I'm going to come to Austin and force choke you because I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> uh, oh, which, by the way, oh, yeah. I'm finished going through family why those, and then we do, our, like, our personal stuff or whatever. So um, next is from at Space Jess with four S's. Um, Return of the Jedi was the first adult, in quotes, movie I sat and watched with my dad when I was three. There's nothing like these movies. They're mystical yet filled with futuristic tech, but they feel used and lived in. They feel like you can step into them and be a part of the universe. The original trilogy introduced good characters I love and evil ones I'm fascinated by. For over 20 years, I've talked about these movies with friends and I've never and I never get tired of it. Leia was the first badass woman I saw on screen and I think was a huge influence of what kind of woman I see as mentors to this day. Women that ta- that don't take shit, who get shit done and love deeply without losing themselves. I completely agree with you there, Jess. The only funny thing about a futuristic tech, because I see all these buildings and all I see is like giant huge corridors and like giant stuff. That's the future. Big corridors <laughs> and a whole bunch of holes. Next, you have from at Wolf's Ghost with an E. 
When it comes to Star Wars, the original trilogy is my home. It was the Star Wars that I first recall that my dad excitedly set up on our oversized VCR to record its initial network broadcast premiere, complete with Mark Hamill hosting the telecast that shared behind-the-scenes footage with the original film, and that, as I grew older, came to dominate my interest and my time. My bedroom walls became adorned with posters for each of the three films. Open space on my bookshelves disappeared as it continued to as it open space on my bookshelves disappeared as the continued adventures of my heroes Han, Luke, and Leia in the fledgling expanded universe produced one book after another, and the free time after school disappeared in long hours of missions in the primitive graphics of 90s era X-wing flight sim. The original trilogy became my expertise, and though I still spent time with the friends I had grown up with, it was the friends whom I made on the internet, from bulletin boards to chat rooms, that I found I could speak that I could speak the beloved language of the Force and all things in the galaxy far, far away with. It was these conversations that eventually resulted in introducing me to the woman who would later become my wife. Aww. My deepest, longest attachments to Star Wars drew from the original trilogy because it is the foundation of my fandom today. Even in the part of my life where events drew my time and resources away from the franchise, it remained within me, planted from countless hours spent watching the same three films over and over again. As to why or how these films came to mean so much to me, why I watched them excessively, it was Luke Skywalker's call to adventure, the transition from a nobody who dreamt of a future that was diminished by the reality of his fate. It was the romance of Han and Leia, the I know in a carbonite freezing chamber, and the spiritual teachings of a green pint-sized Jedi master that the ex the excited... The excited starfighter dogfights and the stirring music of John Williams that came to score my life as much as, as much as the films. I fell in love with the characters and the mysticism of the Force, the snub nose of the T sixty seven, uh, the T sixty five X wing, and the quiet contemplation of Darth Vader as he turned his gaze from his son to the Emperor and back uh, to the Emperor and back again before finding the goodness that Luke sensed in him. On every level, the stories, the characters, the settings, and music, I came to love the original trilogy. Where were you people when we asked for fan but why those of Fast and the Furious? That's all I want to know. So everybody asked to DM me because, like, as you can tell from their responses, like, the original trilogy means a lot to them. And so I, they didn't feel like they could just put it all. Like, they wanted to be able to express their thoughts fully, which I really appreciate. And I, I do the same thing, which is probably why my stuff doesn't get read on podcasts when I send them in. Um... Yeah, now that was super, super good. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. I didn't want to shorten any of these down because they're all really, really well written. And they're all, like, really passionate. Um, and that's important because yeah. I yeah, think I that gets it. at what about why, though, is and why this still matters to people. Um, so the next and last is from at ShannonJoy26. The original trilogy matters for so many reasons. It was what got me into this fandom and has brought me so much happiness and good friends. But for me, it is a story of Luke that I think I will always go back to. He's an optimistic person who cares maybe too much and can't give and can't give a quippy line and let things roll off his back like I am. The fact that he gets to be the hero and wins because of how he cares is incredible. In the last few years, I've also realized that that, that part of why I always identified with me with his relationship with his dad. I had a very combative relationship with my dad for a long time due to mental illness, and I basically refused to cut him out of my life when it might have been an easier path for me. I was able to make peace with him before he died about four years ago, and ever since I realized that seeing Luke do the same thing had meant more than my brain 
uh, than my meant more than my brain even knew for a long time. That is really powerful. And I think what everybody said just in general, like these movies mean a lot because when you watch them as a kid and they get it's the same reason you have Aesop's fable books that are still printed today teaching you like tales like what not to do the same reason fairy tales still exist to teach you morals the same reason mythology and epics were um, um greek mythology and epics were around it was to teach you something and for you to carry that with you when you came into adulthood and i think these fan but why those and i know personally for me like when i graduated college with my for undergrad i decorated my hat and the only thing i ever want i wanted to put on there was never tell me the odds because for me that coming from my family summed up my entire experience Um, because it was hard to graduate and it was hard to it was hard to work through college all those things Um, and so like that like I turned to Star Wars a whole bunch so it was really great to get those fan but why those and thank you for sharing them with us Um, it means a lot for you to open up to us like that and to really show everybody why it matters yeah I don't have anything to add. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, on that note, uh, last thoughts? <laughs> um, last thoughts to follow up those amazing but why, uh, fan but why those. Um, I will say that the original trilogy kicked off my favorite fandom of all time. Um, it kicked off my love of collecting things things that spawned off of the original trilogy, you know, i.e. the books, the uh, Star Wars Galaxies video game, things like that. Some of, like, my favorite things in geek fandom spawn off of the original trilogy. And I don't think that I would be the person I am without, you know, the lessons, the Yoda things, um, the Obi-Wan, you know, mannerisms and things like that without, you know, having gone through and watched these as a kid. So... I think they're great, and I can't say it better than the fans did. Yeah. But this is why we do the podcast, so I'm all right with that. Matt? Um, the one thing I think of that's actually really that's funny is on a episode of Legends of Tomorrow, when literally they basically go back in time and mess with George Lucas, and they basically cause him not to write this, and then you see basically half the team fall apart. Because they actually lose all of their like degrees and their ability to do anything. Just kind of oh, yeah, like that's right. Because they then they basically have to like hunt him down. Like, please write this movie so I'm inspired to go be a scientist and then be a superhero. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's you're that's right on yeah. it. Like that's a perfect analogy for like why it matters. You're totally right, man. Yeah, that is. God, you need, if if you don't watch the show but you like Star Wars, just go back and watch that. Yeah, it's like so that well is perfect. Done of, I mean, even though the actor that she was for young George Lucas looks funny, but still. I yeah, want to tell you about that episode weird, so bad when we when, it, when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh my god!" I, want, I need you guys to catch up so you guys can watch that episode because it's so good. I love yeah, it. They remind me. I'm gonna go watch that episode again, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, I know it's it's phenomenal. I think um, for me, because I mean, you have to remember when this comes out, right? Like, I was lucky enough to have Buffy and Xena, but at the end of the day as much as I wanted to be the warrior princess and as much as Leia was a badass princess, Leia always felt like so much more because Zeno always just punched her way out of things. Like, Leia thought things through. 
Leia was a tactician and she saved the guys and for me growing up that was really important it was the way I bonded with my family and I don't think I would have ever bonded with my family or even have been the little tomboy that I was or it'd be I don't think I I would not have gotten my master's degree if it wasn't for Star Wars I can solidly say that because when I saw the intricacies of the fandom that I love so much and also the intricacies of the material that I love so much, it, it, got my, it got me curious to find out more and to write and to see more of this, you know, and see what I can contribute. Because I got two degrees thanks to Star Wars. Thank you, Star Wars. <laughs> um... But yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be the person I was without Star Wars, in all honesty. And I know if you follow me on Twitter, I've been ranting about how horrible the fandom has been. But I think it's safe to say that, like, not all the fandom is bad. Like, there are just, we're just very, I heard somebody describe it the best today. They called it the super extra community. <laughs> like, when a movie comes out, everything is amplified times 10. And so, like, I understand that. But I will say that, like, I wouldn't have met you, Adrian, if we hadn't bonded over Star Wars. Yeah, that's completely accurate. Like, we wouldn't have this yeah. podcast. Like, Star Wars, to me, was, like, a really big gateway to meet people. Yeah, I think it's completely accurate. Like, uh, we've talked about this in a few other franchises, but I think out of all the franchises we've talked about, um, you know, things like Transformers, Pokemon, things like that, like, this is the genre that, or this is the franchise that, tra like, literally transcends generations now, like... There is not a generation out now that I don't think grew, like, grew up around Star Wars at this point. And I think this really goes to show when we did a Star Wars bar crawl during the opening weekend of The Last Jedi. And everybody was out there doing lightsaber battles. Like adults, kids, old people. Everyone was out there just enjoying Star Wars. I think it's a relief having gone through the Twitter storm that is... Star Wars Twitter when a new movie comes out. Yeah. So <laughs> despite all of that, like face-to-face -face fan meetings is still, I think some of the best that I, that I have when it comes to talking about fandoms yeah. and things. And I will say too, like the, the group that I'm in, we came together around building up the Star Wars representation matters hashtag. And that, and that group stayed together and we've been supporting each other. We talk about our lives. We talk about Star Wars too, but like, I wouldn't have met these wonderful people if, like, if I didn't have Star Wars to connect with. Um, yeah. I love their, I love all Star Wars things and people, and I'm, like, emotional because I really love Star Wars, but that's it. I don't know why you're looking at me. <laughs> yeah. We need, to, we need to go find that video of uh, Kate crying oh, when uh, Mark Hamill... Oh, God, yeah. Uh, that, that kind of explains her life, it all, doesn't it? Realized she was in existence. Yeah, that's all, I, that's all I've been thinking about. Is like, you want you want to know how much Star Wars means to Kate? Like, let's go look at the, let's go do the videotape. Should I insert the audio? Let's do it because <laughs> it's one of my favorite videos ever. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so thanks everybody for listening. And um, as always, you can find the podcast up at but why though PC on Instagram and Twitter on Facebook at facebook.com slash butwhythopc and our website, butwhythopodcast.com. 
Um, just a reminder, we are going to be doing an AMA for our 50th episode. Send us all the questions you can think of. We will answer them. And for every question you send, you will be dropped into a random drawing to get a goodie box. And that goodie box will at the very least have a shirt and some other things. Please send individual questions to all of us or I will be a cardboard cutout for this episode. <laughs> As always, you can find me at OhMyMythRandier on Instagram and Twitter. Adrian? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z 93. Uh, if you've gotten this far in our series of Star Wars episodes, thank you for you know listening to all of our episodes on Star Wars. It's been a blast. And this is Pod Racing. <laughs> Matt? You can find me on the Twitter at datm18, D-A-T-T-M-1-8. And you also need to unmute all of your Star Wars stuff so you can actually see all of our Star Wars episodes <laughs> that have been lost in the mute void. Yeah, so go check your filters. <laughs> also, I will have two episodes that are non-Star Wars related being released for all of you that are like me and exhausted from Star Wars. Okay, and uh, we're going to go out with uh, seagulls. You can go out with seagulls. I love seagulls. And I'm rolling on all my Yeah. My seagulls on my head and stop it now. Seagulls gonna come, poke me in the coconut, and they did, and they did, and me going like, ah. Oh.